Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. This is your continued exploration of faith during this time of crisis. And I am Lindsay Shoot as your host, and I'm joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you doing today? Good day to you, Lindsay. Through the grace of God, doing uh, well. Um, now, um, after the <coughs> excuse me, after the coldish weather and the wet weather, um, one is still aware that we're in winter. Mm-hmm. And I suppose one is sort of continuously having to journey with life, one's life forward in spite of the challenges that one has had and come through. Mm-hmm. Um, we have had um, about seven deaths in the parish, wow. um, mostly of of senior people, and um, the ones we've had were non-COVID related. Um, one, the ones that will be coming up in the next two weeks um, will be COVID related. Um, Mm-hmm. But again, uh, the conversation comes back to like what we expect from our government and what the government and the country expects of us. And like we, like I've seen so many ads this weekend about walk-in vaccine sites. I know there's a lot more uh, Johnson and Johnson vaccines that came into the country that's going out to the rural areas. Um, because it's a one-dose, easy kind of transport thing. Uh, so there's there's increasingly less of an excuse. There is no excuse at yeah. this point that if you yeah. are of the eligible cohort, um, that you should be getting a vaccination uh, because it does significantly reduce the potential of in like community transmission and serious illness. So it's like yeah. it's it's like uh, there was someone who asked a question. It was like, would you allow unvaccinated family and friends to come and visit you in your home as a vaccinated person? And I was like, yes, because a vaccination works two ways, just like a mask does. Um, so yeah, it's it's like <laughs> the country can't do anything more for us. It's free. It's accessible. Like we've already topped. I think it's fifteen percent of the population, which is great. Um, and we have the 18-year-olds coming up um, next month. So please, if you are a, if you are of voting age, if you can buy a beer in a pub, you should get vaccinated and you should be registered to get vaccinated. Yeah, mm. that, that's pretty much all I have to say. Like, it's, it's civil duty at this point. I think just to add on to that is that even though we vaccinated, we still have to use the masks in public. Mm-hmm. Um, one wants to encourage that. Our, uh, we had the, we had a funeral service this off this morning, and the church warden stood at the door after people were screened and said to them, "When you go in, please ensure that you sit where the yellow marker is on the bench." Because so many people just go and sit without thinking about social distancing in the church, which can be understood. You're assuming that you don't have to do anything there. So I'm so glad that that is happening because we've had problems in the past where people just went to sit. And this thing that I I can't understand, why do husband and wife have to sit together in public, you know, 
in public, just because you come from under the same roof doesn't mean that in public you have to, you know, you, 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 it's okay for you to, to be close onto each other's laps, as it were. For that time, you, you respectfully, you know, sit in, in, a social, in a social distance space to be sensitive to the whole of the, of the congregation, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just common courtesy at this point. It's like we can talk all day about that stuff. There's been some fascinating revelations that I've I've had surrounding vaccines and and all of that. Uh, oh. But now is not the time. Now is the time for reflection and calling our minds together with the collective prayer. I'll catch up to you after that, Father. Good day to you, people of God. Uh, this is the tenth Sunday after Pentecost. And I greet you with these words, uh, which is on the screen, and you can make the response. My sisters and brothers, the Lord who restores to us the joy of his salvation is with you. We continue to worship God prayerfully, and together we pray the collect for this week. Gracious Father, your Son Jesus Christ came from heaven to be the true bread. Evermore give us this bread, that he may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. And as Father said, the collect and the specific points of reflection in the readings are in the podcast description. Um, the first reading is from Ephesians. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. So Ephesians is one of those more, <laughs> it's one of the controversial books in the Bible where the author is disputed, um, the intended audience is heavily disputed as well. Um, and the, <laughs> which one, I need, I need to pull it up. I had it on the screen just now. I just lost my notes. Um, it, it also contains Ephesians 6, verse 5, which has been used for so many years to entrench the idea of slavery. And here, um, Paul is kind of sketching out what the church should be um, and explaining it to an, uh, an audience that, I mean, he spent, he spent two years, three years in Ephesus during Acts of the Apostles established the church there, famously went to the synagogue. Because remember, Ephesus is in Turkey. That was also part of the Roman Empire. So they would have moved a lot of like people from all across the empire there and it established quite a large Jewish community. And then Paul used to go to the synagogue and after three months, he famously got upset with them and their stubbornness and then started preaching and established the church. Uh, but I will read verse one, which is, I therefore, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a, a life worthy of calling of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So with all of the history that I just laid out, these are actually really, really great words, just encouraging a community to come together for the purpose that they have come together and to ignore the other differences. I, 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 can, I can jive to that beat. 
Yeah, uh, um, it, it is known to be the letter of the church, mm. so that we are who are the, the the church in modern time can deeply reflect on these roots that give us a sense of what it is all about. But it's interesting that um, we tend to get bogged down with authorships and stuff like that. Mm. I would like to understand this to be that the community of the believers, the community to which this letter was written originally becomes the not just the recipients, but also the the people who took responsibility to capture this teaching and this memory of the author um, and the conversations that the author had had. The, the intention always is to correct that which is wrongly understood and to try and bring people back onto a living path with, with Christ. I found it fascinating uh, that it wasn't just to the church that this vocational language is used. I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So we can always trace back um, into the words of Jesus, what was the intention of forming a community um, of faith and, and, and what that calling would be traced through the scriptures being the gospel and how it relates to the covenanting of the people at Exodus and what that covenant was all about because our prayer book has a wonderful saying about defining the church as the community of the new covenant. So there was an old covenant and mm -hmm. so what's the relationship between the new and the old? I also want to say that this, these words also give me a sense of being born into this world is a vocation of my humanity, a calling to live a life that I could not on my own create, a life that uh, was called into being through the act of love um, into a family, uh, into um, uh, a parenting community that became a family and, of course, grew when other siblings arrived, but was also the extension of the wider family. So it's a vocation in community, a vocation into the life of a community and all that that community would, would, would be purposed, of course. The, there are various, various tensions um, in how this community is organized, how this community is meant to live. Um, and, but do, do I, having been born into the world, into the world through, uh, into the context of family, do I have a sense that life is a calling, is a vocation? And a vocation is something holy. We are, um, you know, I come here because however I understand God 
am here because of his calling, of his purpose, of the of the mechanism of of, of creation, that, that system God created. So if I am called, then I am have the I have the vocation to live a holy life. But often we are called into brokenness, broken family life. Um, Family life that is that could create loneliness, with no sense of what's the purpose of my being here. When you interpret what does it mean to be a neglected child? What does it mean to be a child that has been um, whose life has been filled up with consumer items? Um, they have various aspects of the, the brokenness. So given a sense of, 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 of my call as into this life, is it, do I sense it, do I understand it to be, have I learned and observed from being in the human family that life is a vocation? And in the church, even, even so more, why do we come together? Because in Jesus, we've been put together with a holy, uh, for, for, a, for holy living. And I just want to just add quickly uh, um, mm -hmm. uh, to this. If we take one of the aspects of what it means to be the church, after the resurrection, Jesus meets with the disciples according to Matthew. And they, some believe, some others did not believe, but they worship him nonetheless. Then he instructs them. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teach them to obey all that I've taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and I will be with you to the end of the age. So if we look at that, how then, based on that commission, based on the experience of the resurrected Lord, how were they meant to organize themselves? Given the encounter with him as resurrected, his offering of his presence, and then central in that would be go into the world, the location of the churches in the world, what you have to do in the world, make disciples, teach, um, build a society based on my teachings, my teachings of kingdom life, mm. and, 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 and um, baptize them, give, come, make them come to a deeper commitment of what this holy life is. The baptism is that commitment to this, this way of life. Um, and lo, I'm with you, uh, 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 an, an assurance of God's presence with us. So, yeah, um, how did we then organize ourselves? And, and so one asks oneself the question, where did it all go wrong? Um, when we have had all these divisions among the church? I think it starts with the commissioning of disciples. Because up until, up until the Acts, the Bible kind of follows the story of specific people. Um, 
so like the prophets and then Jesus and their direct teaching, which is interpreted as the word of God flowing through a vessel. And then you have this weird moment and like I, I'll, I'll come back to the, 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 the dispute of authorship, of authenticity of these epistles as well, where it's like you're never sure how, where the knowledge is coming from, how the knowledge is being interpreted, and then we don't really have knowledge of the types of people, the characters who are imparting this wisdom, because it's what they're doing. They are giving a philosophy, a wisdom, pretty much giving an outline for how people should arrange themselves, how the church should be um, erected, and they're making things up as they're going along for a constantly evolving and changing world. And I, I think that's the, the, the problems that I have with like apostle kind of <laughs> theology where it's 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 people making judgment calls and in the fullness of time going back to Ephesians 6 verse 5 like <laughs> that is wholly wrong and unapplicable well it's 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 a wholly wrong view of of the world you know like we've evolved to a point where it's like hey slavery is wrong <laughs> And suddenly we need to discard. And it's it's now we need to decide what we're gonna keep and what we're gonna throw away. Mm. You look, I, I think yes, context is a plays a big issue, but rather than it only being a story of individual, it is a story of individuals inspired by the understanding of the God who is creator. And who in, who in creating his will, now we hear the story of humanity and how it shaped and formed as the centuries continue. And what does it need? Um, when the first thing we want to do as a result of our brokenness uh, uh, because of sin is to enslave one another. Mm. Because mm. we ourselves, have some sense of not feeling safe uh, and there's a whole lot of hostilities we don't even know how to deal with it even this modern uh, uh, modern ideas old idea the, the one of only the fittest survive and um, and so it's a level of of ensuring that uh, you must defeat one another you must empower yourselves over the other and so these hostilities is grow until Jesus comes and says, that's not how humanity ought to be. So he brings the story of God. Remember John's gospel? The word was, was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. So this word comes to rewrite, as it were, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, has been so full of hostility and division together one of the one of the benefits of having documents uh, records of the past stories of the past is that it can bring us back to the basics we we can reflect on you know 
are we still on the on the route of where we should be? Because you can start at a particular point and still find yourself going down a winding road mm. and um, hitting cul-de-sacs and all that kind of stuff. So what what should keep us on the road that goes from where we are to where we're being called to uh, every 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 day? And and what what is that what is that meant to be? So I I think that yes, context is important. Um, how to interpret in context what originally was said. and But it's a story about God and humanity, a story about God building his world through humanity and what kind of world he unfortunately turned into the world of the empire where people uh, felt that the best way forward was to ostracize God and to place themselves on the throne. And to do that, they then formed um, uh, um, a vassal state mm. where there were was somebody that you had to bow down to and somebody you knew exactly how to organize. And then we begin to look deep and say, oh, that you're only organizing us for your own benefits. So we have to fight you in order to then change this whole system. But we go from systems to systems that um, the never ending story of, of violence. I, I every week write, as you would see, a prayer um, to address um, the awareness advocacy and um, of, of an, an activism against violence, gender based violence. And I draw from the scripture to address this thing of violence. That scripture that teaches us who God is in relation to violence and how God can help us to deal with this violence. Because sadly, it is violence that changes the position of power and then continues to enslave those that have a sense of powerlessness. So where is the church in all of this? Because somehow the church is also um, uh, accused of being along patriarchal lines, established along patriarchal lines and authoritarianism. Um, is the church a theocracy? <laughs> is God in charge, really in charge? Or is the church... Um, where, 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 where man is, has taken over the reins and man dictates what the church should be. And you see, you actually see this happening when you, you no longer have the concept of church, but you have the concept of individualized ministries offering worship, offering a space for worship. And, and you have to pay for that style of being part of what this great man of God, because the emphasis has gone back to the man of God. It's not about community, uh, which is what it's what what it means all about. And and this man of God speaks into my life. Uh, but in order to for me to receive what he's speaking into my life, um, I, I have to give him money so that um, my harvest can be released is the beautiful words they use. <laughs> they declare over you what they think God is saying to them. And then in order for your harvest to be released, you have to put in the seed, which is the money you have to give them. And mm. only then your harvest is being released. But isn't that going against the grain? Paul is not speaking to, or the author to Ephesians, not speaking to, 
um, individuals here, it's talking about the calling of the church, the community of the New Testament, the body of Christ, where individuals are not in charge. You don't have a major one. Hmm. Or you don't have an authoritarian bishop and or rector, but somebody who's there to lead in order to create community around the person of Jesus to the glory of God and for the benefit, not just of the members, but of the non-members, which is how the church uh, should be understood. Um, and, and Paul then says, or ever the author, he says, I beg you, that's how serious this matter is to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I beg you, make earnest um, that understanding. And of course, this is, the, this is the challenge. As many as there are members of church, so many can have a view of what the church is all about. Mm. That view can come mm. from a personal mm. perspective, some could look at the church as being a place that satisfies a level of my consumeristic needs and together living that out. The matter is not about being a consumer, but by being somebody that is participating with God in the creating of God's will and the recreating of God's will to be all. Because we are now on the eve of Women's Month, I think it would be wise to bring in a woman voice next week because like for me a, a lot of this conversation is about what is the future role of the church is the church of saint george's still relevant in its current capacity within the next 10 years where this message in ephesians is still very much relevant um but but how does the church look how does the church evolve to better serve its community like even just the last five or so years, how far we've come with a conversation around sexuality, around gender relations, around all of that. And that will continue to evolve on, on a curve that is unknown to us. So, so how, how does the church go forward and shake off that patriarchy idea? I think that's a very, very important question. When uh, people, again, yeah, it's, it's always been my hope that I would hear more voices across the, the board that will be able to sit in the inner circle, if one could call, where one is close to one another, where you're not hanging out on the periphery of church life, that you're right involved there, where your presence and your voice is felt. Depends very much on how people understand um, who they are in relation to Jesus, understand who they, who they are in relation to the gospel, and understand what it means to belong to the church. What is membership to you? And what's the level of your commitment? And how you as parent, for example, bring that over to the child so that the child begins to inherit that legacy of saying, I belong by faith. I mean, the teaching around our baptism and confirmation, whilst it's important for us to do that from the church's perspective as the community, uh, that teaches the faith, households have got to be empowered 
um, has got to be brought into the frame to saying, you know, we say we are Christian and what does that mean? Uh, we say we belong to the church and what does that mean? Um, uh, you know, are, am, uh, part of growing, part of maturing is realizing that we can't hang on to the ideas of the past in the original form. There's got to be development in our thinking and in our, our maturity. Even as we read the texts of the scripture, we have got to be able to grow in, as somebody said, to look for the deeper meaning behind the text in, in relation to ourselves. Now, I think it's a critical question that, that the people ask Jesus. What must we do to perform the works of God? So we would assume from that question that the works of God is what the church is about and that every Christian wants to be about. And it relates very much to the will of God. So if we look to do what is the works of God, takes us back to the covenant. What, what was the covenant all about? I will be your God and you will be my people. I will, you will be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. And all of that, these are, this is the language we've spoken. Now, what is that in relation to the human challenges, such as sexism, mm -hmm. such as uh, gender-based violence, um, such as um, hom homosexuality, so the whole area of sexuality, such as... Um, the voice of women. This month of August, as we enter into it, it's always been understood since the apartheid uh, times when we were under that enslavement. The church under the auspices of the, of the South African Council of Churches declared the month of August to be a month of compassion. Mm -hmm. Compassion we understood to be a characteristic of God. Um, Jesus looked at the crowd and had compassion on them. Mm. They were sheep without a shepherd. So what role did the church have to fulfill in relation to Jesus to bring across leadership that was compassionate and understanding, uh, leadership that reflected the, 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 the presence of, of Jesus as the shepherd that stood up for the sheep, the shepherd that got to know the sheep, and um, and that the shepherd that would lead them through the valley of the shadow of death to the place where a table is prepared in the face of your enemies, whatever the enemy may be, um, is it is it racism? Is it is it is it socialism? Is it communism? Is it economism? Whatever capitalism or whatever isms there may be that you find distractive, destructive, and so on, that would able give you a sense of what it means to be human and what it means to be whole and what it means to belong to, to community. Mm -hmm. um, things like gender-based violence break down all of that. So we need to oppose that. Um, but but we're sitting with the people that have different ideas, and sometimes one church community would tend to overemphasize certain things of scripture, like in the charismatic evangelical American voice right now, 
it's the whole question of patriarchy. Mm. And they read in scripture, they use Ephesians as one of the texts to say that a woman must be submissive to her husband. They don't read the previous text that says be submissive to one another in the Lord. So that is out of that sense of, of relationship. Um, now what they want, the only way forward for the world to be saved is if the husband is in charge of the, of the, of the, of the family. Mm. But people don't understand what that means. And, and what does that mean? They're just reading things from Scripture and widely making that allegation. When the reality is, and this is the thing, how does Scripture address the reality of human experience? Mm. We must have a conversation with that. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And in that made the work of God revealed. What was the world of God that all would be saved and none would be lost? Did Jesus, therefore, in his salvation work, challenge the mindset, the mindsets, the philosophies that caused division, that enslaved, that disempowered? The month of um, August is the month in which is the women are celebrated. Why are women having to be celebrated in a special way one month in uh, nationally? It's because was it only government that recognized the suffering of women? Was it the church that understood this from the biblical philosophy that women are oppressed we need to look into our pews to see whether that is happening in our sanctuaries, whether that is happening and how do we break that down? I remembered um, somebody saying to me in reflection on my ministry in one of the congregations, he said, and it was amazing how he picked this up. He said, you, you have taught us, you're the one who's taught us how we address a congregation. You've chosen not to say brothers and sisters. You seem to have chosen sisters and brothers. Mm. So when he, and he's, he's, a, he's a theologian and, and, a, and, a, and a psychologist, what was he hearing me as the shepherd leader who has to model one's ministry on that of Jesus? One has to take seriously what it means to live a life worthy of the calling and then using that kind of language in a service of worship mm. where the way you address people in worship adds to bringing glory to God and setting people free. Mm. So what, did, what does brothers and sisters do and what does sisters and brothers say? Does it change the mindset of people? Does it help us to address sexism, patriarchy? Um, does it make the, the level planes feel? Does it, does it inspire men to behave in relation to their wives and to their children? Does it inspire women not to be so subservient that they are the target of every form of abuse that you possibly could say. Does the words of our liturgy, is the words of our liturgy of worship, if we take that as the central part of the work of God 
in the in in the world that the church is called to worship God. So the makeup of the liturgy, the words of the liturgy, the liturgical language, does it help us bring glory to God collectively? And does it help? Does it does it combine your heart and mind when we sing praises to God in one collective hymn or one collective prayer? Or to say at the end, I agree with this prayer, amen, because, because I am offering my agreement as an individual into the collective. So does the language of the liturgy, as it's constructed, does it, does it foster patriarchy? Or does it set people free to live under the lordship of Jesus? whether they happen to be male or female. Does it bear with us the scriptural understandings? That's why scripture informs liturgy. Mm. You know, scripture informs liturgy. And so does it understand when Paul writes to the Galatians, now that we are baptized into Christ, there are no more Greek nor Jew. No more mm. male, no female, but everyone is one in Christ. And how is that extended in the family? Mm. Uh, you are dealing in the pews. I'm talking about the membership of the church <laughs> with many who suffer, who suffer, and those that serve in the sanctuary. In fact, the whole of the church, pews included, is the sanctuary of the Lord. What makes the little space that got a staircase? A step, step or two higher than the rest, more the special than the rest of the space. The Catholics the made it that is way. in that space also. The Catholics. So we break down that kind of perception that the pews are not less holier than, than the space which we call sanctuary. The whole of the thing is the sanctuary, as our hearts have to be the sanctuary of the very presence of God. So I, I think here yeah, we are, we, we are our, our mindsets are caught up with colonial thinking, departmentalizing stuff and not looking at the whole. So the sanctuary had to have um, gates and stuff put around it and dare anybody that doesn't wear a white robe enter there, you know, uh, all, all hell will break loose in church when that happens. Sadly, that's how we've lived. We people have not been free. We've made those who wear white garments. This is not a calling of a priest. The life living word of the calling is that of the church, which is a sacrament of God, a means of God's grace to, to bring salvation to the world. And so my challenge would be then if what is the work of God? Um, is the work of God to really if we if we if we're worshiping with the highest form of activity in in the church is to worship God, then how does our liturgy, the words of our liturgy, the concepts of our liturgy address everyday life? How does it challenge the mindsets that continue to enslave? How does it? And this is the interesting when Paul or whoever addressed slavery. He needed to speak first to the definition that confined that person in order for that person to become free in themselves to no longer live as a slave, even though their work may be that which is subservient to the boss or whatever, but not to live 
as if they're slaves of the boss. They're doing this work as free people. The boss has identified you as a slave. You saying, I'm not a slave, but I'll do this work. Mm. Not as a slave, but a person empowered to do mm. this work and more. But that is, that is, you obviously were alluding to the, the gospel, reading from the gospel, which is according to John chapter 6, verses 24 to 35, where, so I, I said earlier that the problem comes with the commissioning of the disciples, because then it becomes wild interpretation of what they are trying to bring across. And then through the translations, it's also like gets even more distorted. And then you have to look at the time and the customs of the era that they were in. Um, but yeah, like Jesus goes straight in and he's like, so the crowd followed him to Capernaum. So now there's like a whole bunch of people in Capernaum. I always find this funny because Capernaum is just other side the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, um, it's up in the north of, of Israel. And it's a small little fishing village. <laughs> then there's just like this whole 5,000 crowd just like rolls up here. And they're like, yo, Jesus, uh, why did, when did you come here? And then he's like, no, you are looking for me. You are, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your full of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life. So that my interpretation is like, because then he says that the Son of Man will give for you. Um, and it's like, I'm teaching you all the things that you need, which is like, love one another as I have loved you and, you know, universal love and acceptance. And then further on, they're like, what must we do to perform the works of God? And, he's like, and he, again, he's like, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And like it goes on and on throughout this way. They ask him for the signs and he's like, and they were like, yeah, but Moses gave us, gave my ancestors the manna from heaven. And he's like, no, that wasn't Moses. It was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. So he's saying quite blatantly that all you have to do is understand the lessons I'm trying to teach you and you will be fine. And then it gets bastardized by interpretations of that message. So like that, that, that's, that's a problem that I have. So in 10 years time, in five years time, if the message of Christianity returns back to Jesus's teachings directly, and we discard all the other things where we're trying to find meaning in other people's trying to find meaning, you know, <laughs> instead of just like going to the source of it. That's why I've actually been quite refreshing the last couple of weeks where we just dealt with the gospel, because then there's like, I don't have to <laughs> deal with all the other confusing things and um, get really upset about it. Um, but yeah, like I, that, 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 that's my thing. Like as long as we stick to, to that original message. Okay, let's go back to the words, uh, do not work for the food that perishes. What, what is our daily life about? Working for the food that perishes. Hmm. Is that really what we are called to do? But in working for the food that perishes, we should be working for the food of eternal life. 
if my goal is just to work for that which can be seen and perishes, then what does that say about my sense of purpose, my sense of call, and and how deeply how we exp- and again here yeah, all of these things can only be done when we have a sense of community, mm-hmm. and when people break away from that sense of community, we begin to then have what you call the bastardization mm-hmm. of the of the original thought. How do we get people to stop? doing this breaking up right now for example it was fine under under apartheid and the beginning parts of the of the um of the new regime the new democracy the government of national unity yeah the government of national unity but but as it grew and and of course a person like uh, nelson mandela could hold this together in spite of the diversity of views. And of course, one needs to revisit what is the intention of that diversity. Whilst diversity is, it can be healthy, we also need to realize that when I make my point of view, again here, is my point of view that I'm making work for the food that perishes or that which, which indicates working for eternal life. And I think the work for eternal life will have a far broader understanding of inclusivity and of addressing the things that divide us than the things that just work for the food that perishes. Mm. I think if the church begins to understand its role working for the the food of eternal life, then what that means would be it would then open us to engaging the things you spoke about earlier, sexism, racism, and all the isms that would cause us to be divided rather than um, collective. And it is true. We are bordering very much on where everybody is pushed to a corner that has been decided by the system. Mm-hmm. Right now, when things happened in KwaZulu-Natal, in the Western Cape, we look up north and say, who lives there? How are they classified? And so therefore, it is that behavior of that culture. Then you are only working for the food that exists to perish. If that's how we interpret that. We need to be able to understand, and this is how lazy we've become. We're too tired to reflect on why do people loot? Why do people get as crazy as they did? Who are the people that instigated? How did government address? What was the role of the church in all of that? How did we, from where we were sitting, maybe in our point of comfort, and then saying to a brother or a sister on the other side, hey, how are you doing there? Are we connected? We have a system called the web. The web. How are we connected to be able to just say, hey, we are in this with you to work to where we are working for that which is eternal rather than that which perishes. And so because I'm safe and then suddenly the taxi violence in the Western Cape kicks out. 
Now we again go through that whole rigmarole. Why are they doing this? Do we on a broader perspective understand and who interprets that? The newspapers tell us from their perspectives who's the problem. But in the spirit of centralizing stuff, do we lose our focus and say, when we address taxi violence from the perspective of the gospel, what are the questions we need to ask to gain an understanding in order for us to say to those involved there, your, your intentions are for perishability, not for extension. How do we bring that? And can government alone solve that, that problem or bring them to understand that we are meant to work for that which is eternal, that which is extended, that which is inclusive? Um, in other words, what is our calling? And are we living a life worthy of that calling? If we say we were meant to be a dem democratic country, that's our calling. Are we living lives worthy of that, which we, which we claim that we wanted to be for these over 350 odd years we struggled to get to this point? And how does the church help us as it brings the gospel into conversation with democracy and those that have to give significant leadership on the level of politics, economics, uh, in the socializing, in education, in the way that patients are treated at hospitals, public and private, um, into the conversation with all these things. When women are suffering under under uh, violence, how then is all that all that? And then, of course, taken to the very grassroots of the church, which is to worship God. How does our liturgy, being informed by scripture, help us to bring glory to God in a day where all these struggles are going on and at the same time bringing good news into those situations, bringing hope into those situations, addressing the injustices in the home, at school, in wherever people are. And helping people to recognize we are not called to the perishable. We are called to the eternal. Mm. And then to, um, to, to respond, uh, a, the bread, that which provides you with the eternal, which you can participate and consume, is by faith in Jesus Christ. That really is where we get to the eternal, where we understand how to live how to seek and work and live for the eternal in this life, then we need Jesus to be able to do that. He's the bread that God provided from heaven. Because at the end of the day, can we provide that which is for the eternal all by ourselves? When our only focus is for survival and therefore it's for perishability and not for um, the extension and for the eternal. Yeah, there's a couple of <laughs> points there that I don't necessarily agree with. So I'm very much of the mind that, um, like, you proper got me. <laughs> you hit one of my nerves there. <laughs> I'm glad. With, the, the, like, the, the taxi violence thing where um, there's no way to actually introduce um, 
Jesus or like Christianity into that situation because like the 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 act yes when it comes to ministering to the people who are enduring the violence um who are committing the violence who are the the squabble that they are having which is really complex not really complex it's actually quite simple um but then there's like the the issue that gets highlighted where it's like for the last how many ever years we've been spending less than 20% of our budget on public infrastructure, public transport infrastructure. And then it's like a deeper conversation that needs to be had where people, and, and I guess my point is always that scripture and Christianity, there's too much interpretation. There's too much room for interpretation. Like we are doing right now is, we are interpreting what we are reading into the scripture. And there must be more accountability on like a personal level where, like in the story where the people are asking Jesus about thingy and he's like telling them to be accountable for themselves, you know? Like, you listen to me, I teach you the thing, you do the thing. If you say you believe in me, if you say you are a Christian, there's a couple of rules that you need to follow. If you want to go to church during the time of a pandemic with level three adjusted restrictions, there are certain rules you need to follow. And it's not about finding ways around the rules, where it's like finding that little bit of scripture that validates whatever you're feeling. It's like you need to be the person. You need to, like, being a father, being a head of the house, or being the man in charge, you want to be that. What does that mean? Being a father is taking care of your family, and care is holistic, like taking care of them mentally, emotionally, financially, all those things. You can't just pick the thing that you feel best or you feel most comfortable with. <laughs> you know? So how are you saying something different to what I've said? Um, I would want to say that you say there are rules to follow. I'm saying there's a way of life to live. Yeah. Which resonates with you saying, if you're going to be, I say I must be so that I can become. It's a calling into a way of living mm. and not a pawn of a system of rules and regulations. But they will play their part to keep me centered because they signs to which I need to strive towards and grow towards. But it's not about ticking off and says, I've done this. Because one then separates rule from rule. Whereas the rule mm -hmm. is to live a particular kind of life that we are called to live. And, and for example, if I'm offering as a taxi person a service to people. How am I organized knowing that I'm not the, I can't monopolize that. I have to recognize that business must be fair and every one of us, if we organize this thing with focus on caring for our customers and working together, even when there's uh, problems, then we can make this thing work for everybody. But we are faced with those who are looking for the perishable because 
all they can think of survival and that's about greed so when you when when the church is supposed to say we've called to being to live a way of life and in order to be living this way of life we need sustenance and jesus provides himself as that sustenance our relationship with him matters so that um, and we can see for example the systems that we men and women create don't have sustenance they die very quickly we have to constantly restructure and restructure and restructure because it's built on an individual greed mm. and so so the, the 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 thing is once we start admitting and, and you said early on about acknowledging all of us need to be conscious i need to look at myself and say and and two of us were discussing this over the week um what, what this particular person is a warden and was sharing about the challenge financial challenge that their parish is in and why is it in it and how can they address the matter particularly when you don't have a full gathering of membership that you rely on people who've got data in order for them to be informed mm. and, and and you rely on those um who don't have data to find a way to be informed and yeah. be in touch with what's going on and it's a very difficult so maybe this is a time of relooking at the whole purpose of this podcast is exploring faith in a time of crisis and exploring faith in time of crisis to look at the faith based community and say so what are you really all about mm. when the foundations of your of your of your existence are being rattled how do you look at ministry how are you connecting your congregants how are you inspiring and encouraging them how they how do they have a sense of community when basically you rely on you know people having data in order to be connected and um and this guy was saying I don't want to build the church for today. I want to know that this church has a life in the future. Mm-hmm. But I've got to start working on that today. I've got to gather that today. So for example, how am I responding to what is going on out there? Somebody writes to me and says, "This is what I have an issue with." I immediately pick it up with that person. but how do i address it with that person i want to keep that person but i want to be honest about where that person is coming from so i acknowledge the pain i acknowledge the the what's in it and i appreciate the context so okay now let's look at the problem and let's look at what we can do about it mm-hmm. then i think i'm working for the eternal rather than for the temporal and so here again i'm challenged to relook at the way i'm ministering and the way i can minister mm. uh to begin to hold the church together i'm in regular contact da- daily through the week with the secretary i'm in daily contact with our wardens from whatever matter we that comes up as small as it is just to give you for instance it was so so important for me to learn today mm. that one of the educate um staff in um best bank um 
couldn't have a, a vaccination done because she had a test, a tight, tight chest. Mm -hmm. And all I needed to do was to say to the person who informed me, please give me her contact number. Mm -hmm. I phoned her, asked about her. I could now learn that her cousin had COVID. I could learn that her family was doing all right. I could also learn that I can, having listened to where she is, I can pray into this. Now, the same way would be if we're available for the taxi drivers. We know that things are going to happen because somehow people are all striving for the temporal. So how do we deal with that? Mm -hmm. And it's not about putting the gospel and throwing it at them. It's how we are living it by reaching out to them. And we come not to say do as we do or do as we want you to do, but we need to listen to what you are having to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. When we had the accident of a taxi driving into the church wall, I realized we are in two different worlds. I mean, we're living from world to world. We are close by, connected to one another. Mm -hmm. The taxi couldn't ride after the bump. So our minds go to tow trucks and all of that. In two ticks of a duck's tail, they had organized themselves mm. with a piece of a tow rope that was not going to last very long. They were there. They managed to take that taxi back. The mechanic was on the spot. He had no blazer that said, I belong to this grand uh, mechanic firm. Mm -hmm. there, was a, there was a world that now we need to say, how do we actually tap into that world? Because it's a different world to us, so that we can understand it without judgment. And I remembered how, how some of us responded to that. We had all our regulations. This is what must happen when this happens. Mm. But you can't have that attitude if you want to work for the external. For the eternal, sorry. You have to have an attitude that says, we're in this together. How do we sort it out and still belong to each other? That's what um, I'm, I, I, I'm having a, sen a sense of. It's important, therefore, that again and again and again and again, the church has got to begin to ask itself the question. And here, not that which is based on a ministry, but that which is based on the body of Christ, which Christ is the head of that body. But I, I do think we we are speaking the exact same language because I was I was I was consulting with a client in the week on Friday. Yeah. And it's a new client and a friend of mine called me onto the project. And the first question I always ask is um, where they see the business in two years time. Because that puts them in the mindset because I've done my research and I know what I'm going to present to them. And it's always like you need to think bigger. You need to think of like the full picture where this business was just earning enough money to produce the product. And it was like, but don't you want to make a better product? So if you want to make a better product, you need to make surplus so you can plow that into development of a better product. So you then just keep that ball rolling and the more money you're bringing in, the cooler things you can do. And yeah, I, I think a lot of times people are, are not seeing the future picture and the larger picture. 
and uh, as as Jesus said, um, they are eating the food that perishes, working for the food that perishes. Yeah, but not the ones that look at me getting all preachy here. <laughs> but thank you, Father. Um, if you could please add a few closing points and then extract a few more. Um, points of reflection from the prayers of the church. Thank you. This has been another fantastic conversation. We are very grateful that in the last verse of the gospel, Jesus offers himself, in other words, offering God as the one which our daily and eternal sustenance depends. Our participation in God um, uh, symbolically described through hunger and thirst. Uh, is a is a very uh, symbolic way of participating and becoming part of God. In our prayers, we celebrate God whose love endures forever. We celebrate Jesus as the bread of life, and we ask Jesus, please feed your church with gifts of faith and trust. Please nourish our public life with your gift of prophetic wisdom, especially into the whole taxi industry, into the whole industry that um, affects our people's daily lives, that of transport, uh, the infrastructures that we need, O oh Lord. Then, Jesus, sustain our life with your gift of sufficient food and water, remembering our sisters and brothers who do not have these resources on a daily basis. And I think, Lord, of those areas where after the rains have fallen and potholes made and cracks in the earth, right in front of people's homes, the Lord, in their communities, and it later on turns into waters of stench and disease. Children who play in them uh, the immune systems eroded. And then we, as we celebrate Jesus as the bread of life, O Lord, revive all who are weary, exhausted with your gift of hope, of patient hope. As COVID continues to ravage through individual and family life, community and nations, we continue to pray, author of life, savior of the nations. COVID is humbling, your grace is sufficient. The deaths we mourn, for the recoveries we give thanks. The compassionate care we applaud, for the vaccines we are grateful, for compliance we plead, for the common good we pray. In the healing name of Jesus, amen. Then Jesus, bread of life, restore us in the gift of your eternal life. Hear our prayer as we remember those who have died. Alfred Rousseau, Neil Sullivan, Yvonne Williams, Isabel Samuels, and James Hess. We also ask God's blessings on the Olympics. God will protect those who participate from harm and help them to use their gifts fully for your glory. Bless all who celebrate birthdays, Lord, and their wedding anniversaries, any other achievement. We continue to pray into 
the realities of violence and gender-based violence. Lord, we continue to hold before you the transgression of violence and abuse. Those victimized carry the load of shame and guilt, their bodies and bones, psyche, emotions, minds, sense of self is broken. They feel the weight of judgment. May those who pursue violence hear what you spoke to David. You did it in secret. You did it secretly. That I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So that like David, they too may say, I have sinned against the Lord. May those victimized pray, create in me a clean heart of God and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to be the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And as we pray for our continent, we remember the nations of the world and other continents. God bless Africa, God our children, guide our leaders and give us peace for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. And then in conclusion, a blessing and a commissioning. Go out from here and live lives worthy of the one calling which we all share in humility, gentleness and patience. Speak only what is true and loving and so grow into the unity that is ours in Christ. And may God, the Creator, shape your hearts. May Christ Jesus, the bread of life, sustain you always. May the Holy Spirit unite you in the bond of peace. Amen. <laughs>